Thanks for checking out this podcast from SWGFL. We're here to help teachers and education professionals support children and young people in all that they do online. Just to avoid any confusion, in autumn of 2022, we branded our podcasts as Interface. This is actually one of our older episodes from before the big rebrand, so it might sound a little bit different. However, there's still the same top quality advice and expert support throughout. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this Safeguarding Children online podcast brought to you by SWGFL. Welcome to the SWGFL podcast, the free definitive guide helping educators keep young people and yourselves safe online. Hi there, I'm Gareth Court, here with Jess Macbeth. Hi Jess. Hello, hello. We are online safety consultants with SWGFL, lead partner of the UK Safer Internet Centre, a world leader in online child safety, advising schools, charities, governments and tech providers around the globe. So welcome, thanks for joining us today. Today we're talking about a uh, somewhat controversial issue amongst many people. We're talking about students bringing their phones into school. So uh, Jess, picture this. Imagine a uh, a very large school, could be primary or secondary, Um, you get to the school grounds and immediately upon reception you have to put your phone in a bag and the bag goes in a locker and you're not allowed to get your phone back until you leave the school premises. And it doesn't matter if you are a student, a member of teaching staff or senior leadership, a governor, a contractor, a visitor, anyone who comes on the school site has to put that phone into a bag and lock it away. What do you think? Oh, I've been there, done that. I I was at a primary school where I where I had to do that, and it was every any visitor to the school, parents, anybody, had to sign their phone in at reception, um, and it seemed to work really well at the school I was at. They they said they'd done it for years. It was no hassle for anybody. Everybody knew how it worked. It was all accepting of the policy, um, so it worked well there. But that was a primary school. You said it could be primary or secondary, didn't you, in your um, scenario? That was a primary school. Secondary mm, could be a a different kettle of fish. How did it make you feel having to give up your phone like that, though? Um, Okay. (laughs) But then, you know, (laughs) hey, I I wasn't going to use it for anything. I was only there for, you know, a a period of time and then I was going to go away. I wasn't too concerned because it seemed to be a fairly robust kind of security policy thing that they had do you know what I mean like I, I didn't I, I trusted them but yeah so, it is you know hey I am you know literally connected to my device it has become part of my hand um <laughs> so yeah I do worry when it's not when it's not kind of near me that's an interesting question I'm sure one would come, probably come back to a little bit later in terms of sort of liability of having to store so many mobile mm. devices in one place uh particularly as batteries have been known to explode in the past um so <laughs> yeah it's a really interesting one the reason reason for mentioning all that is just to just to scale that scenario back a little bit but actually that's that's what has happened in France so the French government passed a law in 2018 banning the use of mobile phones in during school hours and that actually applies to, to children as young as about age four all the way up to age 15. So it's an interesting example of, of it actually happening in a country where they've all chosen to ban phones in schools. So I wonder what do, happens do you at agree age... you Well, I wonder what happens at age 15 then. Is it well, suddenly yeah, a free-for-all? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, a little bit like um, 
just a sort of an anecdote of, of those 18 year olds that have never sort of um sort of experimented with alcohol at all and then go off to university and, and go absolutely wild in freshers mm. week where they're left off the hook and uh you know all sorts of crazy things go on it's it's kind of an interesting approach to kind of say nope nothing at all and then suddenly open the floodgates i mean it's not i can i can see a variety of benefits there was research done by the london school of economics back in 2015 they published a discussion paper called Communication, Technology Distraction and Student Performance, where they looked at whether banning phones had any impact on um, test scores. And they found that I think it was roughly about six, six and a half percent improvement in test scores for students and an even bigger improvement for, for kind of low achieving students. They also worked out that the net effect of banning smartphones resulted in adding the equivalent of an extra week to the academic year. Yes, I saw that. That was a really interesting study. The, I think the other fascinating thing is it was done, you know, a few years ago now. It'd be, be really interesting to to repeat it and see if that's still the same case, given how fast technology develops and technology use continuously evolves. It'd be it'd be fascinating to see if that still has the same benefit now. Yeah, absolutely. I I you know I I think there is an issue, isn't there, around about distraction? You know, having a having a phone near you and wanting to just go back and check, just see if you've had any emails, having that little ping of some, you know, notification of something that just reminds you to go back into the app. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's, I think that's where another interesting bit of research comes in, a bit more recent, this one from 2017 at the University of Chicago, which they, they titled this one Brain Drain, which a lovely phrase. <laughs> but um, they, did, they did some experiments with, uh, with adult participants, so not young people, but I think, I think the effects would still be the same. And uh, they asked them to, to conduct various tasks, and they had three different groups. And these groups either had their phone face down on the desk next to them, not being used, but, you know, kind of in their line of sight, uh, or they had them in their pocket or their bag or they had them in a separate room in a locker and they found that in terms of the task that they gave them the performance was best for the people who had their phones right out of the room in a locker um it was slightly worse for the people who had their phones in their pocket or bag so kind of an out of sight out of mind kind of thing and the worst performing ones were the ones that had their phones face down on the table like i do just now (laughs) yeah yeah and me too and and i imagine most of the people listening as well and it's it's really interesting that surely if you know if this study is suggesting that the mere presence Mm. of a mobile phone can impair cognitive functioning or reduce cognitive capacity then then surely it's quite an easy argument to suggest that maybe it has no business being anywhere near a classroom right but hold on a second what about the whole bring your own device policy because there's plenty of schools that are looking at how do we work with technology with young people you know engage enthuse teach them the skills they need and for whatever variety of reasons we know we're not supplying all the tech so we get them to bring in devices and they can plug into the network and use their own yeah, I think I think there's there's massive benefits for schools for doing that. As you said, one one is a cost thing because uh, you know trying to, to keep up with a new wave of iPads every three years or you know providing a whole suite of devices is is just not cost effective. And as we know, technology moves and changes, and and probably isn't built to withstand more than a couple of years, uh, you know, full on use anyway. So so there's definitely benefits there, but I think there's uh, there's, there's potential potential issues as well because it it really kind of depends on what devices are bringing in. I've I've always been concerned from a social perspective of the inequality that this can produce because if if some children have got the the latest iPads or latest smartphones and others can't afford that then then mm. there is potential there I think for for bullying or for discrimination it's it's a really tricky mm-hmm. one the cyber risk problems as well isn't there and you know plugging anything into the network um you don't know kind of what all the safeguards are that are on there in terms of downloading etc what you know Abs- yeah absolutely and, and I guess you know particularly with with 
new data protection laws having come into force of GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation across the EU, even more of an onus now for schools to ensure that their their networks are as secure as possible because they're they're managing sensitive pupil data and allowing unknown devices to connect into the network or connect to other devices on that network is is possibly a recipe for disaster. So so I can understand schools being very very mm. wary about wanting to introduce too many new things. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's all about that kind of risk assessment side of it, isn't it? I suppose. But what about when you're you know so you're in class, you you know it's a clear policy, um, devices should be out of sight. Um, but how, how easy is it, I suppose, for young people to use devices without you knowing? Well, I think it's pretty easy, mm. isn't it? As you as you said, you know, your phone's almost permanently connected to you, either either in your hand. But lots of us now have got you know connected devices like smartwatches and things. And and even at primary school, I, I remember primary schools having issues with with smartwatches and trying to work out whether or not they'd allow those, even though they weren't connected to a mobile phone, because lots of them have the ability to to record both audio mm. and video. Um, and I guess there's a there's a real sense of trepidation some, sometimes with teachers and educators that they're worried that too many of these devices in the classroom may lead to some some unacceptable and unhealthy use of, of surveillance, if you like, of recording a teacher when they, they say something controversial or they tell a student, a student off in some way. Uh, we've also heard reports in the last few years, of course, of, of students going one step further and actually using these devices to, to record other students and teachers without their knowledge and, and some terrible incidents of, of things like um, you know taking upskirt videos of female members of yeah. staff and things like that which which then moves very much away from from an issue about technology and actually into sexual harassment or even sexual violence which is uh, you know far more serious and, and yeah, definitely needs yeah. to be dealt with. I mean that's really taking you into this idea of, of kind of what's acceptable behavior what the kind of culture is within the school environment um, what the policies are whether everybody's aware of them but I wonder I mean it reminds me I'm sure I was reading somewhere about um, prisons having an issue with kind of micro size mobile phones being smuggled into prisons so <laughs> you know we're even this idea that you could lock some lock something away would you even know if, if a people had a mobile device maybe they'd be wearing it maybe it'd be implanted maybe it'd be tiny you know or or, or if you know if uh school students want to follow the leader prisoners or just use a drone to fly one in from outside they'd just be, just be <laughs> someone on the other side of the fence controlling a drone drop drop a little iphone down in onto the other side of the now, look, you're giving people ideas rabbit. here we shouldn't really <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, that's not the intention of this podcast no no whatsoever um but but yeah, I think I think you're right, I, and the point you're making is really clear, isn't it? Is that you can you can have policies and procedures in place, but you do need to consider them really carefully in the context of your your school and your students and your staff, and and of course the people who are the other stakeholders and the visitors that come to your school as well. Um, but at the end of the day, policies and procedures only ever go so far, and if people want to get around the rules, there's there's always a ways and means. Well, I think I think um, what's the, interesting the, is is the parents' perspective, because mm. you might think. And I think there is, I was reading some research done by, a survey done by Love It, Cover It, who found that almost a quarter of parents felt that phones should not be allowed in schools under any circumstances. So there's definitely that kind of, you know, shut down, switch off, you know, leave out type perspective. But I think there's a flip side of that as well, particularly at the high school, where it's around about, I want my child to feel safe. I want them to feel that they can contact me if there's any problem. I want to be able to contact them if there's any problem. So I want them to have a device on them. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? And and as a parent myself, I can totally understand both sides of it. As an educator, then I also see it from a, a slightly different perspective as well. Um, my my sort of comeback on that one, I, I guess, would be that actually all schools, primary or secondary or, or otherwise, always say that actually if you need to get in touch with 
with your child or if your child needs to get in touch with them that you can do it via the school office you know there's there's quite clear mm-hmm. communication routes so so maybe this idea of needing to be able to just like ring your child at break time isn't really necessary mm, yeah. uh, in terms of bringing your own mobile phone because there are other established procedures and actually you'd have to say if, if you're so desperate to, to need to speak to your child at break time or lunchtime if there is like a health concern or something that's worrying you then the school probably needs to be aware of that anyway so they can help support yeah. you yeah it's, it's i think this this is underlying thing isn't there of kind of the tech is there and it's becoming part of us and it's just we want to be able to use it okay so let's move on a little bit then in terms of We've talked about a variety of issues. What kind of practical tips do you think there are out there for educators, for schools, other organisations that are engaged with young people around about making a decision on this, taking it forward, you know, coming to a conclusion about how they're going to do it? So I, I think some of the things you were just saying there are, are really important. As we mentioned, you know, there's a caveat in that any policy or procedure doesn't necessarily get followed by everyone. But actually, the the more successful policies and the more successful procedures that schools put in place tend to be the ones that are owned by everyone or key stakeholders. I think that's Mm. really, really key here when it comes to use of technology in the school, whether it is bringing in mobile phones, whether it is bring your own device, like, like other devices they bring in to connect to the school network, whether it's using technology within the school that the school has provided. It's about it's about ownership and understanding and, and respect of it as well. And I think the only way to properly achieve that is to involve everyone. So involve the students, involve parents and carers as much as you can, involve the governors, involve all those key stakeholders that, that play a part in this and move forward together. Because I think there'll be there'd be far more respect and, and a far healthier approach to this rather than feeling that these have been rules that have been handed down on high. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there is, of course, the online safety policy template. So you can access that on the SWGFL website or get it through the English, Wales or Scottish versions of um, the 360 Safe self-evaluation toolkit. So and that's within that big policy template, there is an appendix which is all around about bring your own device, getting you to think through some of these issues and kind of getting clarity on how things are going to work. So that's helpful, too. And there's a blog, isn't there's a blog piece. Should your should young people be left to their own devices, which you can find on the SWGFL? website i think it'd also be really good jess just just highlight at this point we've, we've kind of gone a bit doom and gloom here haven't we we're talking about they, <laughs> they, all the things bit. that potentially go uh-huh. wrong you know be they safeguarding uh-huh. issues be they, you know be they data protection issues this that and the other i, th- I think it's important to recognize that there are some real benefits to it as well uh, you know you've got to kind of learn how to use technology in your workplace and, and if schools are designed to be you know the the opportunity to take children and young people on a learning path to develop the skills and the understanding they need to be productive and happy adults of the future then surely technology should be within those environments to help them learn how to use it absolutely i mean there's a couple of things when you're speaking there that are coming to mind one is this idea that we're getting a much better understanding now of the digital divide and how you know digital participation and this idea that um, there are people who you know have access to technology so you know, a young person might be able to send a snap you know they, they might be able to to chat on a particular app but can they use that device that they've got with all of its amazing abilities to be really helpful to them in their personal lives as well as in their kind of school and academic and, and professional lives and how are we supporting them to do that making good choices so that right at the beginning when you you know that example that you gave um, we talked about France and kind of well, what happens once you get you know, the, once you've got to 16 and the, you know, the policy is no longer in place, is it a free for all? And are you actually equipped to, you know, make good choices on the on the devices that you've got? And really what I would call digital citizenship, you know, really, we're really working towards being the best digital citizen that you can. 
Absolutely. And and I spoke earlier about this this perceived inequality that can be introduced by by having, you know, lots of different types of smartphones and some people's are better than others or newer models and so on and so forth. But but similarly, to, to flip it back on the other way, it, it can encourage equality in terms of accessibility. So if you think about students um, who have uh, visual problems or accessibility issues, actually, most modern smartphones are, provide so many options now for, for enlarging text, for doing text to speech, for, for color filtering, for lots of other things that meet a whole wide range of needs. And it almost feels like, it, you know, maybe schools are missing a trick if they're not using some of those great features that most modern smartphones have as default yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy one. It's, you know, I, I just feel like it's very much going to be dependent on the kind of school and the kind of local school community as well as what they think's going to work for them. And maybe it's a trial Definitely. and error thing. I, th- I think so. I, you know, if we're, if we're wanting children to use these things effectively and positively and respectfully and safely throughout their entire lives, you've got to have a a safe space surely to try things out and make mistakes yeah. whether whether you're an educator or a young person and I'm a massive advocate for for using technology in the classroom where you can because I think if it's done well and it's done properly it's a really effective learning tool and a really engaging learning tool in lots of different mm-hmm. ways okay well um before we finish up if you have a question or issue you'd like us to discuss on the podcast please get in touch by emailing podcast at swgfl.org.uk Gareth do you have a recommendation of one thing to read watch or listen to I do, Jess. Uh, and this one, much like other suggestions I, I usually come up with, is a little bit out there. So I'll start with a disclaimer. This this one is not suitable to read in the workplace. Uh, I'd read this one on your personal time. But some really fascinating articles online by The Verge website um, about moderation. So the quickest way of finding them is to go to a search engine and type in The Secret Lives of Facebook Moderators. And you can read their, their original article and then a follow-up one. They're quite lengthy. They're quite graphic hence that they're not suitable for work a really fascinating insight into the experiences of of those who provide moderation services for social networks um challenges that they face not just in their own workplace and and the way they have to work but but challenges around removing and making judgments on the the kind of content that gets reported you know a thousand times a second on social networks around the world so really interesting read uh what did you have jess um so uh, i have recently really enjoyed years and years on iplayer have you seen it Ah, very good. Um, I've caught bits of them, and so I've kind of watched them out of sequence, which is probably more confusing than anything else. But uh, but yeah, I've caught bits. It's it's really good. Out of sequence, goodness me, wow. Okay, so no no spoilers, but it's a drama that's set in the near future, and it has got some aspects of future technology use. So I think it's a really interesting way to think about, you know, where we are going with all of this stuff. It is, and and without giving any spoilers away, I really hope some of the things in it don't come to pass, (laughs) because I think we'd all be a bit worried if they did. But uh, so it seemed a little bit too accurate sometimes on some yeah, things. No, well worth a watch. But yeah, definitely a good watch. Brilliant. So uh, thank you for listening to this SWGFL podcast. If you found our podcast helpful, pre- please spread the word to your fellow educators. This free podcast is available on most casting apps. And remember, as always, if you have a query about an online safety issue affecting a young person, yourself or your organisation, you can contact the Professionals Online Safety Helpline at helpline at saferinternet.org.uk or by calling 0344-381-4772. And if you've also got a question or a topic that you'd like us to cover on the podcasts in the future, don't forget you can always drop us an email at podcast at swgfl.org.uk. And don't forget, a better internet starts with you. Thanks for listening, and I uh, hope to see you again soon. Goodbye. This Safeguarding Children online podcast has been produced by SWGFL. Sakwa
for Learning is a charity that has specialised in online safety for nearly 20 years and is one of the three partners in the UK Safer Internet Centre. The UK Safer Internet Centre is the national centre and one of 32 European Safer Internet Centres. For more information and terms of use, please visit www.swgfl.org.uk. Thanks for listening.